Monday, everybody. Welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. If you want to find me on Twitter, look up Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can follow me at Dan Urban MMA. You can also follow the podcast at Couchside Judges. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else that you listen. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review. Leave us some feedback. And normally we talk about judging. Uh, today's show is going to be a little different, but you should still learn the criteria at abcboxing.com. Yeah, just a little bit different. It's not like we're we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, boxing all all episode or, or you know, tiddlywinks or something. Anyone ever played tiddlywinks? Is that, is that like a real game? I feel like people just made it up. Is that that marble game with the sticks through the cylinder? I have no idea. Oh, forget what that game's called. All right, well, let's continue to talk about Tiddlywinks. No, no, no. We're going to talk about fighting. We're going to talk about fights, MMA, uh, and judging, of course. But this is our year-end awards show. Oh, exciting The very show. prestigious show that I'm sure everyone has been looking forward I, to. Guys, I was really hoping to get actual awards to send out to the winners. <laughs> Nobody the, wants it. It wasn't in the budget. Yeah, the budget of zero. <laughs> <laughs> How much are we in the hole for doing this? <laughs> Not sure yet. <laughs> oh well, we're 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 being paid in uh, knowledge. We're gaining a lot of knowledge. I have to uh, say, absolutely. This has been a very rewarding experience for me doing th- this whole year with you. Um, even just aside of the camaraderie that you and I have shared, yeah, this past year, my my uh, my good friend Dan. It's been a a good year in that sense. I do miss getting to actually sit down at your place and record in person. We have now been recording separately for nine and a half months, eight and a half months. I don't think our quality suffered though. Well, I don't think so yet. Honestly, I mean, as far as the content, our content's gotten significantly better because if you ever go back and listen to those episodes, and I hope you don't, uh, we not, I wouldn't say we're talking out our bottoms, you know, but we definitely aren't as educated as we have gotten over the past year. And, and because of that, I just want to say a big thank you to all of the officials, regulators, people in the sport who've educated us along the way this year. Uh, it really does mean a whole heck of a lot. Uh, and and I'm happy to pass along all the knowledge that we've gained from you guys. And I hope to gain even more as we go forward. I'm sure I speak for you, Dan. Yeah, my passionate, ignorant rants have uh, stifled. You, you definitely. <laughs> so <laughs> there's one rant that. You guys never even got to hear. We won't even get to touch. We won't. I'll, I'll I'll leave it on the cutting room floor. But there was something that Dan went on a rant about that we had to cut back a couple episodes back. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. But hey, you know, let's let's not beat around the bush anymore. Let's dive into the least anticipated awards of the MMA world: the Couchside Judge Awards, which we don't have a name for. The Couchside Judges Awards. I'm gonna call them the Judges. I don't know. The Judges. I like the Couchies or the Judges. Now the judges. I I like the judges. Okay, the judges. That works. All right, because you know, being being judgy, you know. Yeah, that's true. Also, it was just the first thing that came into my head, so I think first wins. Yeah, no, this is a great award show. I mean, I would the, the, the judges very prestigious. I hope one day we have an award show like The Office, uh, and we all rent out some obscure restaurant and and host an award show. I will not start a tangent with you about The Office, but I don't watch The Office. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. But anyway, on to the awards. Let's start it off with, I mean, let's start off with our top judging prize for the year. Top judge. Who is your top judge, Dan? My top judge is Sal D'Amato. 
Yes. The man uh, gets the most assignments. He's very well respected amongst his peers. This year alone, he went to decisions 106 times. Yeah. I think, and that's on top of the fights that have ended early. These are just fights that actually made it to the, the decision. Now that's over UFC and Bellator, correct? Yeah, he had a, I think one Bellator card earlier in the year where he just, I think he did the whole card. <laughs> there was so many of there. And he was on the losing side of splits for only six fights. That's a good percentage. So, think solid judge. Not only that, if, if you want to throw some numbers on there, because I, I too picked Sal D'Amato as my top judge of the year. I don't, I don't think that's going to surprise too many people in the judging community uh, because he is, he truly is one of the most respected, if not the most respected judge in the sport, especially because not only is he so active, but he, he really does tend to agree with the majority. He's got a good descent percentage. We went into kind of descent percentage a few weeks back, which is not a be all end all stat, but a good indicator nonetheless. Uh, and, and then he maintained that most of the year uh, he scored just in the UFC 371 rounds this year. Only three other judges yeah. scored at least 200 this year Scott, in the UFC. Scott, you know, what's funny about that? What? You just vindicated me. How's that? Cause I was like, all right, I got to see how many individual rounds he uh, turned in. Okay. So I counted 106 decisions, and then I was like, well, some of these are five rounders, some of these are three rounders. You know what? I'm just going to do 106 times 3.5, and 371 <laughs> came up off a, no way. a total guess, and uh, I feel awesome about that. Well, don't forget that your number actually did include Bellator, and this one does not. 371 nonetheless. Three, 371 is just UFC, so. Okay. Well, yeah, and, and not that not that the work any of these judges is doing outside of the UFC doesn't matter, but just the simple fact that while I haven't gotten a chance to track everything as much as I would like to yet, I'm still ba- building kind of a database that I can use to track these things. So uh, hopefully by the 2021 judges, you know the very prestigious judges as we discussed, uh, hopefully by then we might have hardware I'll be then. able to give a much more full picture of how judges are doing in other promotions as well. Yeah, man's putting a ton of work on on this. But, you know, I mean, beyond the numbers, forget the numbers. The numbers are, you know, they really mean very little. Some people don't truly understand them. And I'm still even trying to find the best context for these numbers as well. But if you just look at kind of the the body of work and just the the things you can look at, you know, sometimes like he was easily by far the most active, you know, right. But also just earlier this month, he worked a Bellator and a UFC event the same week, two days apart. I mean, he's a machine. He judged. The main event at both of those. Where was the Bellator event? Mohegan Sun? Oh, all of them are taking place at Mohegan Sun right now. Oh, wow. So he had to go across the whole the country. He's he's from the... the Midwest. He flew east, and then he flew west. And then he flew a little bit east again. Well, I assume he went home. He probably didn't yeah. stay in Vegas. I wouldn't. I don't want to be in Vegas. I kind of do. But, you know, it's impressive. He he judged, uh, he judged the flyweight title fight, the women's flyweight title fight in Bellator. And then he judged the men's flyweight title fight in the UFC. It was that was Figueredo Moreno. Uh, right. Yeah, Figueredo Moreno. I said that right. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just he works the most five round fights too. He worked twenty nine of them in the UFC this year. That was the most. Just so much respect, like you touched upon, and and I mean, it's hard to beat that, right? Yeah, really hard to beat that. I mean, there's there's. I mean, they did a great job overall. Oh yeah, I think crew. this was a really good year for judging. I I would bet. If we looked back every single year, it just gets better. That would like, even if you just look at like data and stuff like that, yeah. it's probably better it and better to. every single year because these guys are, are getting sharper and sharper and more on the same page, you know? 
Yeah, it, it just has to. At, at some point, we're going to reach a spot where it's, it's just a steady, really, really, really solid uh, body of judging. And hopefully complaints uh, disappear. Oh, I mean, I th- ain't going to disappear. That ain't happening. But I, I already think we're at a really good spot. I really do. And, you know, not not that Sal is the only strong judge out there. And, and you know, I'm just going to name a couple honorable mentions for you, too. But these are not these are by far not limited to the best judges in the world, but these are just ones that I, I wanted to single out for having strong years that I was observing in the UFC, uh, in the UFC events that they worked. Mike Bell, Ben Cartledge, Derek Cleary, Junichiro Camillo, and Clemens Werner. All of them just really, really excellent stuff. They worked some pressure-packed fights. They did a fantastic job of being in agreement with one another and seeing things the right way. And just honestly, these are like if you see any of these names show up on your fight if you're a fighter yeah you might have a personal bias based on something you remember but honestly these these are the best guys out there oh yeah for sure and then the fight island crew i mean you gotta give them some props for what they had to, to endure for those five events that they were out there oh heck yeah that's that's a tough strain anybody who's sitting out there for weeks on end you know uh, clemens Werner and, and ben cartilage these people were out there for quite a while and that's, that's a tough strain yeah, 100%. And again, I, I want to stress that this does not this does not actually include, you know, as much of the work in Bellator. It's, it's you know, not as comprehensive as probably it would like to be. There are certainly fantastic judges who are working in other parts of the world and in other promotions that we just aren't able to watch on a, on a routine basis. You know, I when I think of strong judges that are typically more on the Bellator cards, you know, I'm thinking of like the Dave Torelli's of the world. I'm thinking of the Brian Miner's. You know, people like this who do a, a terrific job. And, you know, if, if I was in the if I was working, uh, let's say my fight was over in Uncasville, Connecticut at Mohegan Sun for Bellator. If those guys showed up, I feel pretty good, too. As would I. But I would finish if I was in a fight. Well, obviously you would. Yeah. Because you're obviously someone who pursues the action and, and finishes and isn't just slow and methodical, right? I would um, applaud everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about you, Dan. This isn't about you. This is the people who <laughs> excelled this year. <laughs> or did things that, you know, kind of surprised us a little bit there. I think we our next uh, award that we want to give out is the most surprising scorecard. Not necessarily a good thing, but I don't I don't know that we want to call this some sort of bad award or something like that. It's just it, it's something that causes us to raise an eyebrow, kind of like uh, the I, rock. I think my award should be taken as praise for this. Okay, yeah, I would love to hear it. My most surprising scorecard of the year was Mark Collette going 10-7 in round one for Kamzat Chamaya versus John Phillips. I just didn't think we were ever going to see a 10-7, and I loved it. That was a terrific scorecard. I mean, I'm okay with it. Obviously, it was the minority. There was only one 10-7 on there. The other two judges for that one went 10-8. But, man, all the credit to the world for Mark Collette going there and giving out that 10-7 score, we just we just don't see too often. I, you know, you and I discussed some other fights this year that we felt really did deserve 10-7 consideration. Didn't quite get it. But yeah, kudos, kudos to Mark Collette for putting it out there. It, it takes a lot of guts to go to that score because you just don't see it very often. Yeah, it's all it deserves the, the judgy for that for me. Who's Absolutely, getting the like judgy that. for you? Mine again, mine was a little more dubious in, in distinction. Mine was uh the Chris Lee. 48-47 for Paul Felder in that split decision loss that Felder had to Javier Dos Anjos. Yeah. He gave rounds two, three, and four to Felder, um, but the other two judges had it 50-45, to 45, as you know. Yeah. Bit of a head-scratcher. It was, it was, and I don't want to go in too deep about it. If you want to hear more about our thoughts, you can go back to episode 68 
where we talked about it, but round two, round four, these were rounds that I, I can understand why they would have gone either way in terms of Felder maybe getting it. 48-47 for Dos Anjos is a totally reasonable score to me. It's where you give that round three to Felder, and I just don't really see it. And I have pride. I mean, it's not the worst score you can hand in. I don't think it's awful, but yeah, I, I definitely understand why there was some heat taken in the fact that people kind of still remember that one. But you know, still, fresh. it's one fight. What's that? It's still fresh. It's still fresh. People are still remembering it. I think probably you take a month off, people will start to forget a little bit. Uh, but it definitely did stand out. Although the fact that Paul Felder was on it and definitely disagreed with it, even though he. It went in his favor and that he's a commentator. We might get reminded of it more often than yeah, that's true. Uh, that's that's the unfortunate part is kind of the, the, the placement of the person who this occurred to. Um, but it's it's really just the optics of giving three rounds one way than the other judges did. Uh, it's not the greatest look. There was a little bit of surprise in there. But, you know, as we said in that episode or a few episodes later, I should say, or a few episodes ago, Chris Lee, I mean, he had a rough month or so, but he is still a really good judge. Like he, he was a good judge all the rest of the year. I would still trust him if he was scoring my fight too. You know, I'm sure every judge, if you go back, probably has kind of their ups and downs and maybe, you know, who knows what's going on and, you know, maybe travel or anything like that. Who knows? But I, I would still trust him. It was just that one, that particular fight in that spot, which was under the microscope. It, it was a little surprising. And he, people forget he was the fans hero when Angela Hill he was the only one that went for Angela Hill in that fight uh, against oh, Michelle Waterson. Against, uh, Michelle Waterson earlier so, this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I brought that up in, in that episode yeah. as well. And and yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, one day you're the hero, one day you're the goat. And that's kind of just the way it is. Most people will just remember when you're the goat. Um, we do like to highlight, uh, you know, both good and bad in, in, in the sport. And I think there is more good than most people would really think there is. So... I'm glad that we get to highlight that on our show, but yeah, I mean, something like this, it, it was certainly surprising and it was, it was deserved that we talk about it then for sure. And we got on to worst judging moment though. This is, this is not a very good look. Uh, do you have anything for this one? Scott, I think we are going to be unanimous now. Remind, I don't, I don't know your awards and you don't know mine. So no, we but, actually don't. You we went in this blind. So I think we're going to be united on this one. Okay, what do you got? I'm going with Joe Sola scoring round one for Trevin Giles at UFC 247. Look at this, simpatico. That just, I mean, that was a bad scorecard. It, it is a bad scorecard. And, and honestly, the reason why it's a much worse scorecard is the simple fact. And actually, for me, the, the worst judging moment isn't that score. It's the simple fact that, as uh, Aaron Bronstetter of TSN reported shortly after the fight, Joe Sola's got his black belt in, I assume, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, 12 years earlier from Eric Williams. Eric Williams was Giles' coach for this fight, and he did not disclose a potential conflict of interest to Texas's commission before the fight, as you're supposed to do. Quite dishonest. It's, I don't know that it was dishonest. I, I'm deceptive. I don't think, let me, let me, what I think happened is that he looked at it as, as, as the report from TSN said, Solas had not really been in contact with Williams that he said for more than eight years or so. Williams said it had been more like a year or two. So there's a little discrepancy there, but it does seem like these guys aren't really in touch anymore. So does that mean there's a potential for bias there? Maybe there is not, but why don't you tell the commission anything? I mean, we've talked to judges, you know, both on the show and behind the scenes and, Everyone seems to say, like, why don't you just say it? You know, let the commission figure it out. 
because if they're going to put you on a fight, maybe they don't put you on that fight. You know, maybe, maybe there's no choice. There are judges I've spoken to have said, like, listen, I've said, Hey, I, there's a, you know, I've trained with this guy or, you know, I know this guy a little bit. Um, and, and unfortunately it's like, sorry, you're going to be working this fight. When that happens, that's on the commission. If you don't tell the commission that is on you. And that's where I had the problem with it. And, you know, just the simple fact that that first round, which I thought was pretty solidly for Kraus, and granted, I should, I wish I had the time to have rewatched that fight this week uh, before this fight or before the show, but I thought it was pretty strong for Kraus at the time. Uh, and again, granted, who knows, maybe I feel a little differently now, but nonetheless, that round, if he had given it to Kraus, if Joe Solis had given that one to Kraus, Kraus wins the fight. Big round. And round three also was was split, I should also note, but that Solis actually did have that one for Kraus. He was in the majority for Kraus, so it's not like he just gave all three rounds to Giles. There was some discrepancy here, so we're talking about a fight that is perhaps closer than you and I realize. But the simple fact that there is this conflict, potential conflict here that was not disclosed, honestly, Kraus, when their team appealed the decision to Texas, I really thought, that would have been a very viable reason for something to be overturned. It's just so hard to get these stupid fights overturned with the commissions. Like I, just, yeah. I, I think this would have been a, a very fair reason to overturn something. I'm which um, I just it's think, just not the way it worked out. Yeah, I don't think Texas uh, is the greatest commission. Not a fan of the Texas so. Commission over here. I, I will say that. I just as an observer from afar, I am not a fan of the Texas Commission, um, and I I really wish they wouldn't put fights on there anymore. Not not major fights. Like get get your stuff together. Bring in the best judges. I mean they they do occasionally get in some of the best working judges there, but oftentimes UFC events you've in, in a giant massive state you don't bring in you know all these guys. Like why why are we not trying to bring in you know the likes of of Sal D'Amato all the time and and any of these guys? Honestly, they should. Derek Cleary. These people should be there. But they don't bring them in regularly, and and we end up with you know local level judges. No, this is not meant to be a term of offense, but it, you know they're <laughs> we're talking about UFC title fights here, and we've got Joe Solis who judged the title fight on there. That was Jones, uh, John Jones, and Dominic Reyes. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't think he necessarily did a poor job in that title fight. I think you could argue, you know, some of the debate of the rounds. We we went back and looked at it, but that's not the fight that I would get have a problem with. It's this this particular fight, and I think. James Krause really should be mad. This was definitely the lowest point of MMA judging in the at the highest level for me. Easy. Yeah, 100%. Glad you agree. But that's all we had as far as judging. What I think now we can do is have a little bit more fun, move on to, you know, the, some of these typical categories you see everybody give out. Everybody's got their opinion on these. So let's start with KO of the year, Dan. What do you got? KO of the year just happened like two weeks ago. Kevin Holland knocking out Jacare off his back. I, I thought I that knew was ridiculous. I knew you'd pick that one. I mean, you need so much power to knock someone off, knock someone out off your back. It it is it was just amazing, and and I mean the fact that he did it to Jacare, who not that he hasn't been knocked out before, but he's he's got a good chin. He can take a he can take a punch and get wobbled and kind of stay in it. He's getting older, granted, but I mean <laughs> you just don't see it off the back like that. Yeah, yeah. The fact that Holland was able to even create space with a guy that grapples as well as Jacare to. Uh, generate the power to me was he's got amazing hips I, I, so. that, that's just the torque that he can generate from his hips so i, I thought it was good fantastic what, what about fight, you? Uh, fight there fantastic knockout absolutely yours me oh yeah i mean 
I think you knew what I was going to do. It's the one most people are going to be picking, I think. And that's Joaquin Buckley. He got that jump spinning back kick on uh, Impa Kasanganai in October. Yeah, that was pretty that's, sick. That is going to be in the Baba O'Reilly knockout reel as like the the showcase knockout for 10 years at least. Oh, I think so for sure. Uh, the, the one main... they play in the in the UFC arena. Just because it was, it's just never going to happen again, at least anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's like showtime kick level stuff, which, as we just talked about in the other fight, that was not a knockout level kick, but that was a darn good kick. And we haven't seen anything remotely like it before. I don't think yeah, yeah, everyone was joking about a bunch of people who went back to the gym and were trying to practice it and just falling on their faces. (laughs) Uh, And probably a lot of them actually did do that. But yeah, I just this was and it had so much flair, nothing against the Holland knockout, but the flashiness, the flair of it, more flair. Yeah. Flair. Always more flair, as they say in office space. So that was a solid. Yeah, that, that was a good one. What about sub of the year? Sub of the year. I don't think you're I'm on your level with this one. I think. All right. What do you got? Was different. there was there a uh, an omoplata that I'm forgetting? There was the omoplata's cousin, Kimura. Oh, yes, of course. The other shoulder lock. Jimmy Crute, Kimura, Michael Oleksiechuk. 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 I thought that was he showed fantastic technique on the ground. I don't think he threw a single punch. Uh, in that fight, uh, locked up the Kimura. It was deep. He was making uh, Michael's hand hit the back of his head, and it was awesome. I believe it's Michal. I'm not sure. Michal. I'm, I'm terrible with the Polish pronunciations. I'm. I'm I apologize. Olaszczyk. 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 Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a pronunciation be one day. All right. One day. One day. If only we had John Anik back on the show to give us the correct pronunciation. Give me your sub. Well, for me, it was uh, Ariane Lipsky, the oh, knee bar on yeah. Luana Carolina. I looked into that one as well. I, you know, there was a small part of me that's like, I wonder if he'll pick that. But I, I had a feeling you were not going, uh, you would go somewhere else. You're such a sub connoisseur. It was, it was there. I, I, was Carol, I mean, it. she shrieked when she hit that on, on yeah. her. Uh, Carolina just shrieked out in pain. That one had to hurt. I love like, cryouts. Yeah, you never want to hear that. Um I don't know what the status of Carolina's knee is from that one, but I hope she's okay. Uh, but that was just an amazing sub from the Queen of Violence. So I, I <laughs> not not to be uh, you know a, a reveling in someone else's pain, but I would watch that by that sub over and over. It was amazing. Yeah, so and then real quick, I want to do an honorable mention. Uh, yeah. Brian Kelleher guillotine over Ode Osborne. Oh yeah, it was a good one too. He forced Osborne to tap with his foot. Was that the one that was at the beginning of the year? Yes. That was amazing. Yeah, the tap out with the foot. I remember that one. That was, again, that was 35 years ago, January. No, I actually, no. I think it was the beginning of pandemic events. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Even still, every every month feels like 10 years. <laughs> but back over to the official side, we've got best referee. Who is your best referee of the year? In February, if you asked me who was going to be my best referee, it wouldn't have been this guy. But Who's this? Over the course of the year, he has earned the spot from me, and that is going to be Jason Herzog. I agree. He was my pick as well. Uh, I thought taking the point in his most recent main event uh, was supposed to happen. I think he did what he was supposed to. I think he's been great with his stop. That was a fantastic call. I, before, just to interrupt you real quick, I thought that was a fantastic call too. You, you just you don't see referees jump to giving the or taking the point away for damage on a on a foul like that as much. But I think that was totally warranted. So I love that too. He was on point with most of his stoppages. Like I, I in the beginning of the year, like I said, I, I totally thought Anthony Smith should have that fight should have been called uh, a couple different times. Yes, but, I we we hashed that out back at that uh, at that time, and, and in fact, he appeared to take responsibility 
uh, in the wake of that. But he is not, you know, I'm glad you bring that up. He is not the only person to uh, right. blame in that one. He, you know, he said there is only one person to blame him. But uh, I mean, that's that's classy of him. I disagree. I think there really needs to be a lot more responsibility placed on corners uh, to stop fights. We didn't see as much of that this year as I would have liked. There are several times where it happened. In fact, James Krause, who was, we brought up earlier, probably was should have stopped guy. one of the yeah. fights he was in the corner of. <laughs> so, yeah, I I don't necessarily, me personally, I will not put all the blame on Jason Herzog for that one. But um, it, just the fact that anyone is willing to take responsibility or be culpable and, and you know speak to how they can be better, that speaks uh, a lot to me about the type of person and the type of professional that Jason Herzog is. And I think his body of work speaks for himself this year. I, I thought he was the best referee that we could have had in, in a fight in 2020. Yeah, 100%. Keith uh, Peterson, uh, honorable mention too. Yes, Keith Peterson deserves some credit. I also uh, mentioned Mark Goddard, Mark Smith. thought both of them very good. For sure. And and Dominic Cruz, don't besmirch Keith Peterson on this one. He, he, is, he is amazing. He's a great ref. Yeah. Sorry you lost. You're going to get the, the wrath of all the Keith Petersons on Twitter. Oh, I don't. I I drew their wrath once. <laughs> <laughs> I had to mute all of them because they were just going crazy. I was like, "What? The, where are all these people coming from?" <laughs> and none of them are the real one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I seriously, I'm real, real great year for for Jason Herzog again. One one incident does not a reputation make. So I I'm very impressed, and I know he has the respect of his peers. Yep. On to our next one, we've got Unsung Hero. I don't think this is one you're going to hear about from too many lists, but who is your Unsung Hero of MMA for this year? Adam Rohrbach and the Kansas Athletic Commission. Okay. Their willingness to try to push the f- sport forward uh, this year in particular with the real-time scoring. I think that is a thing that, that should happen in MMA, and i like to see that they try things and not just talk about them. I love it. Yeah, he's he's uh, the word I like to use when I describe Adam Robrock is maverick. And I mean that in a good way, because there are just a lot of people in this sport who are, you know, satisfied with where it is, it, it seems. And, and especially at the commission level, I, I want to see more people like Adam break in. And he's not alone. There are there are certainly more forward thinking and, and people willing to try new things and look into different things. Uh, I think we need more Adam Rohrbox in MMA in general because that's how this sport, which is really young, it's really, really young, can grow. You know, we, we've only got 26, 27 years since UFC won. Uh, and really, if you want to separate no holds barred in MMA, there's probably some blurred line you can separate there. So it's really more like a 20-ish year old sport I mean, with the, rules and everything. The sport's so young, there really shouldn't even be an old school way of thinking. It should all, no, all be no, forward. There shouldn't be. Absolutely. So it should all be forward in, in, in progress towards making this the best sport it can be. The simple fact that Adam is and his commission are thinking of things and trying new things. And even 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 if you have good, you know, if you're just brainstorming, there's no good ideas. Or there's no bad ideas in brainstorming, I should say, uh, which I've stolen from 30 Rock. And I love that phrase. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he he's the one who he and his commission are the ones who innovated early morning weigh-ins several years ago. And now they're the norm with many promotions. You know, he, thinking of new ideas is what makes the sport better. So, you know, kudos to Adam Rohrbach bringing the open scoring, which they call real-time scoring, to the forefront this year. Um, I think with more time, hopefully we'll get more people to see what we have here. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it really doesn't work, like everyone keeps saying. But I think it does. I think their system is what makes it work. And I think what we remember is that this isn't necessarily to make the 
judge's job easier. It's not necessarily to improve or hurt the quality of the fights, but it's to give the fighters more information to try and better themselves in the cage. And I think that's absolutely necessary. Always about the fighters. Absolutely. It should be. It really should be. These are the ones putting their lives at risk. Literally. Yeah. Kudos to Adam. I, I'm with you. He was my guy too. But a uh, quick honorable mention too, to uh, Kareem Zidane, the, uh, the journalist who often writes for Bloody Elbow because a lot of his reporting on the uh, the Chechen dictator, Ramazan Katerov, I'm probably saying it wrong, but I don't care because he's honestly, he's a dirtbag. Uh, the fact that in this month, actually, just recently, uh, the U.S. Justice Department or the, uh, the the federal government, I should say, they have now placed him and all of his MMA organizations on uh, basically a blacklist. So now you see the fruits of the labor of what Kareem was reporting on all year uh, in the Middle East and, and in Russia and, and these things like that. And I'm just very impressed uh, with the knowledge and reporting that Kareem did. He's an unsung hero for me, especially as a journalist. Yes, I've seen you... Uh throughout the year praise him oh he's fantastic so. i mean we don't uh, look i i write for or I, I work for the new york post and i'm looking forward to the chance that i actually should be able to get some writing in mma space uh for the post in the coming year i'm optimistic about that keep keep your eye posted or keep your eyes out for that but who knows what i'll get to report on what i know is that there are very few people in mma who actually are journalists and that means uncovering the truth to try and bring a voice or bring a voice to people who need their voice heard or to shed light on the darkness. And I think that's what he is doing. That's what very few other people in this space are doing. And, you know, no offense, everybody's got a role to play in media. There's, you know, some people are just, you know, about hyping it and that's okay. There's, there's a role for that too, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for what people like Kareem do in MMA journalism. So shout out to, to Kareem if he's listening. Great job, Kareem. Now on back down to the fighters though. Back on to you know less serious topics, of course. Top prospect. Who's your top prospect of the year? Okay, so I did female and male. Oh, see, I didn't do that. You didn't, you didn't tell me to do that. Uh, I, I just thought you would know. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, now I'm gonna seem sexist. Go on. <laughs> My top prospect uh, would be Kamzat Chimaev. Okay, dude's got the entire hype train behind him. Uh, two honorable mentors: Jamal Hill and Sean Brady. I think I'm excited to see what they can do in the next in the upcoming year. What about you? Jamal Hill is a great honorable mention. That's that's fantastic. I didn't even think about honorable mentions for this. I, I love that though. I love Jamal Hill. Um, but yeah, mine mine was also Hamza Shemaev. Um, I mean, we didn't know who he was. Most people didn't know who he was before Fight Island, and now he's gone from that to you know getting 10 sevens to 10 days later he he wins at a different weight class, a lower weight class. Two months after this, he's got a 17-second flat KO of, of you know, a, a certainly a, a qualified middleweight in Gerald Mershart, and that was using a stand-up, which we hadn't seen much of. So <laughs> by the end of the year, he was already scheduled to face a top-five welterweight in Leon Edwards. It, that, that's an amazing ascent from yeah. nowhere. Crazy but, rise. And, and I love his skill set. I do think that he is the real deal in terms of the skill set. But I don't think he has shed the prospect label. I think I'm glad you put him at prospect instead of our next category, which we'll get to, because he is still a prospect. He hasn't really proved anything against anybody of real note yet. No offense to Mershart. If he beat Edwards and that fight happened, my prediction of him fighting for a title by July would be true. I, well, it could 100. still happen. I mean, they're supposed to fight next month. Yeah, we'll see. 
<laughs> that month <laughs> well, difference. Like, you can say we'll see about literally every the, fight. That month difference is a big difference, I think. Uh, Again, and real quick, and my... I don't believe they're fighting until they get to the cage in this modern scenario here. Trevin Giles, our guy that we were talking about earlier, he was supposed to fight, and then he couldn't fight literally during the event. Happens. I mean, it's it, a crazy world. Happens very rarely, but in this COVID era, I don't think I, I... I'm pretty much just like, all right, get them in the cage, and then I'll feel good. <laughs> and uh, my female prospect was Amanda Hebos. I think no surprise. You know, there. I was going to say, like, I was trying to think of somebody on the fly here who would I pick, and, and it definitely was going to be Amanda Hebos, too. I, I First off, She's fantastic. She's a breath of fresh air. I I really just appreciate the the positivity she brings. And then this is certainly true of several fighters I can think of. Uh, but you know, she's just I, I I wish we all had that kind of joy that we could exude to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having yeah. said that, she's also a killer in the cage, and that's really what counts when it comes to this sport and you know the sport aspect of it. So. I would love to see what she can do as she continues to develop as a fighter as well. Yes. Let's let's see what you can do there. Absolutely. But next category is a little similar to this one, but it's, it's a different level. I think we're talking about breakout star. Who's your breakout star. I mean, no surprise, Kevin Holland. Yeah. Yeah. That was mine too. And I I actually feel like I'm kind of, we're probably stretching the star factor of this because you know, some what do you call a star? Is it somebody who's headlining pay-per-views? Or is it somebody who's bringing in casual fans? What is it? I don't know. But obviously, we were on the same page here. Well, he's got that that story now that's behind him that we didn't know about when he was called in last minute to fight Tiago Santos in 2019. Oh, yeah. Call, big Mouth. Yeah, Dana call, calls him Big Mouth. Yeah, called Big Mouth. And now, now he's using this hashtag everywhere he posts. Ha- he's calling out ha- fighters left and right. Can I just interrupt for a sec to just say... Why is Dana White, who is trying to find people with personality to bring in people to watch his sport, not bringing in people who would be called Big Mouth? Conor McGregor, if he's not Big Mouth, he's Monster Mouth. Yes, but the the difference here at the time it happened, Kevin Holland did not finish his fight with all the talk he was doing. So that irked Dana. You know, he wants finishers. And and, I mean, as much as you you, want to say about Conor, the guy does finish. So yeah, so a little bit different. I'll, I'll, I'm going to keep the rest of my thoughts about why he wasn't there to myself. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not going to share them on the show. But uh, what I will say is this. He is the total package. You know, he's aggressive. He's got an exciting striking game. You know, he showed fearlessness off his back against Jacare. He was going through for subs with, uh, with Jacare and his guard. You just don't see many people even attacking the subs on Jacare, you know? He probably has a good ground game. I bet he does. So... I mean, he got subbed last year by uh, Brendan Allen, but... I mean, things happen, you know, he's still, I, you know, I think probably at the beginning of the year, you would call him a prospect, but he has shed that now. And I think this Jacare win really propelled him into that potential breakout star. Cause now there's even, he went five and oh this year, first off four yeah. and oh yep. since August. Yeah. So four he finishes. was really active those, this last uh, four or five months of the year. Yeah. And now he's creating a little bit of heat with uh, Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champ. He's got some heat with Adesanya and Brunson. Yeah, but Br- I mean Brunson, whatever. Believe this is the champ. I'm I'm with you, but I think he's he's I think he is scheduled to fight Brunson. Yeah, that's fine. But what I'm saying is he's already on the radar of the champ and trying to build that storyline. It's very smart. Oh, so you're you're saying the champ's running the 205? That's what happened. No, no, no. He's I'm not necessarily saying he's that. What I'm saying him. is though that hey, look, if, no, I, if yeah. Adesanya comes back down, assuming he. You know, let's let's say he wins the belt and decides he's going to defend both, or he loses uh, the chance to take the two hundred five pound belt from Jan Blahovich. 
and he comes back down to middleweight where I think he still probably belongs. You telling me no. that you can't sell to casual fans Israel Adesanya and Kevin Holland? Oh, no, for sure. You can. Adesanya is a very aware guy. He knows uh, who's going to be the ones coming for him. Absolutely. So, and and yeah, but but again, that is kind of where when you've got that heat there that's starting to, you know, I'm not saying yeah. it's it's a full on fire of a, of a of a feud or anything like that or any sort of, you know, big deal it's fight that people are talking about. But he's kind of approaching it in the same way that uh, Boroshinia, Paulo Costa did before their fight. Not not in the same type of way, but just in the simple fact that, yes, he's making an effort to try and make something of this uh, potential matchup. And, and it's that's what makes people watch. If that's not a breakout star, you know, I don't know what really would be, right? No, yeah, this guy has potential through the roof. So mm-hmm. I can't wait to watch him again. Yeah, me neither. What about uh, best event of the year? You know, we're getting into kind of some big top tier uh, awards of the judges. It feels natural to say judges. I just yeah, made that up judges. like 20 minutes ago. Yeah. And it's already it's already real. <laughs> I think the, the event, I think this is an easy one. Uh, for me, anyway, UFC 249. Oh, interesting. There was only two stinker fights, uh, Carla Esparza and Michelle Waterson and Greg Hardy and Jorgen DeCastro. The rest of the card was was awesome. You had Luke and Price. You had uh, Dominic, Dominic Cruz and Henry Cejudo. And then it was headlined by one of the best, uh, Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson. That was a great headliner, absolutely. Uh, but it sounds like you have a different event. I do, actually, and... It's possible there's some recency bias here. I understand that. But I don't think is there is a wink, weak link in this entire card. Top to bottom, UFC 256, the one we just saw. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that was a great card. I mean, we had a, a potential fight of the year candidate in Figueredo uh, getting you know the draw that he had with Brandon Moreno on their short notice flyaway title fight because no one knew that they were going to have it before both of them had fought at the previous pay-per-view. Yeah, that that's a crazy turnaround. You know that I mean, irrelevant to that, it was just it was a good fight. You know, it was a, yeah, a yeah top, and the fight they, they fight, put on easily top ten. You know, possibly top five. We'll see where it, it potentially lands in our top fives that we're going to talk about in a minute. You know, we, your KO of the year and Kevin Holland over Jacare. It really was a great card, top to bottom. A pair of clean KOs on the prelims and Cub Swanson and and uh, Rafael Fiziev, who I I really love watching Fiziev. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a heel hook from Chase Hooper in a fight he was going to lose on the cards. He was totally going to lose that fight bad. We had a, a real like lightweight titled contender emerge here with Charles Oliveira dominating Tony Ferguson. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tony was just chilling. He was just chilling. That's, of course, <laughs> true. Um, having said that, he got 30 26. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love Tony. Charles Oliveira won. He's By dominating. Domination. Domination. Fantastic. I mean, that that's like, that's almost breakout star there, too. I mean, you could probably make an, a case there. He's just not the most. Um, Charles Oliveira is not the most, uh, what would it be, uh, loud personality. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. What he is doing, he's doing some nice work. I saw on Twitter, too. Just a quick aside, I saw on Twitter that he's he's trying to kind of raise awareness and also give back to his community and, and you know get food to people who need it during this holiday mm. season, which I love to see. Yeah, good on him. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And then, But going back to the event, you know, standout performances from big and small athletes. We had Cyril Gain with the big knockout. At heavyweight and over down at strawweight, the women's strawweight division, Tisha Torres looked fantastic. Probably the best she's ever looked. She, she looked as, and, and we joked in the preview episode of that, about that. Well, and you it, did. And she, I didn't joke. Well, okay, I did. But she uh, she definitely uh, maybe turned a corner here and she's going to be a little ferocious teaspoon that you want to call her so bad. T 
Keisha T. Spoon Torres. I don't believe I did that. You want someone to be. You want someone to be TSP. Oh, TSP. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even the other two fights, the other two winners on the card, Gavin Tucker and Mackenzie Dern, they looked great too. You know, there, there really is. There's no weak yeah. link on this card. I'm going to talk about Mackenzie Dern uh, a little later, but. Oh, right, that's fine. Uh, yeah, you can do that. 249 was also the first basically big event in sports that came back. And I think that the, was it, the it hype. I can give you that absolutely. The there, hype like around a it. Significance to that. So that definitely helps. Yeah, that's a good point, man. But yeah, I think uh, as far as like best event for me, it's just bottle this event up and then go watch it sometime. And it's the best time you'll have watching fights as far as one event all year. Okay. I, I think that definitely for me, it feels that way. But again, maybe maybe it's just recency bias. Yeah. I almost went to the first event of the year because we actually got to watch it together at TGI Fridays. That's Friday's. true. <laughs> A little bit. Well, we, we watched, uh, what did we watch? The one that you came over and watched uh, when I had all the windows open and we oh, both yeah, wore our masks. Yeah. I forget what one that was. Uh, social distance. You had sat on the opposite side of the room. It was on September. It was in September, I think. No, I think it was the summer still. Maybe it was the summer. I forget. I don't know. Nonetheless, but I, I do miss the times where we could do that. Getting a little wistful about pre-pandemic <laughs> for so many reasons, but hey, let's let's move on. You know, we we've got a few more categories we got to get to. We got the top five fights of the year. Yeah, this is a big one. So let's go. Let's count it down. How about you give me your five? All five of them, or, or my number five? No, number five. We'll, we'll bounce back and forth. Hopefully, we'll we'll try not to spend too much time on any one. Okay. Fight. Number five. It made the cut. I told you. I know. I told you. It might not make the cut, but it did. Brandon Moreno versus Davis and Figueredo. They fought to a draw a couple weeks ago or, or last this, week. This is my five as well. I'm glad I'm glad uh, that we have the same one. I think round five really, really stifled it from jumping up higher. It did. Yeah, absolutely. The pace slowed. Um, you know, it was it was a I torrid mean, pace that they both had kept up. Right. And, and I <laughs> you can understand why Moreno probably didn't have as much left in the tank after he got absolutely destroyed to the groin. How do you come back from that? That is that was remarkable. You know. But I will say, I mean, this is a fight that, especially watching it live, there was a lot of tension because it felt closer than probably it was. One, because of the point deduction, which obviously in general just makes things much closer, especially when we don't know what the judges' scores are. Um, And the fact that Marino was certainly much more in this fight than I think a lot of people expected, which kind of gave it an extra, it almost felt like it was closer than it was just because no one expected it. I think you're you're spot on there because I, I still think Figueroa without that point deduction is it's a clear victory for him. Well, it definitely would have been, and honestly, round five, I I, I really didn't like. Uh, again, he's one of my top judges that I, I said of the year. Honorable mention: Junichiro Camillo giving five round five to uh, Moreno here is what essentially cost the victory for Figueroa. Not as much as again that low blow. That's his own fault. That is his and own he deserves fault. Much yeah. more responsibility. But having said that, it really shouldn't have mattered, in my opinion. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I we get to see it again now. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's gonna be a massacre, honestly. I think. <laughs> I'm, we'll we'll I'm talk about that later. Yeah. Where we got we got more fights to break down. We got we got our top four. What's your? Uh, let me go with my fourth. Actually, okay, we both agreed. My number four is Josh Emmett and Shane Burgos. All right, this was one of my honorable mentions. Okay, it, it did not make the, my list. This was my best top. This was like the best three rounder of the year. Again, these fights were not including anything outside of the UFC. And that's not to say that there weren't amazing fights outside the UFC. It's just, this is what we put our focus in most of the year. And the UFC didn't leave a lot of openings in the schedule for us to catch up on other stuff. So that is where we arrived at. But yeah, for me, best three rounder of the year. Absolutely. I just watched this 45 minutes ago before we started recording. 
What were your takeaways from it? Because I, I actually haven't away, watched it as recently. My takeaway is Josh Emmett and Shane Bargos are tough as nails, especially Emmett injuring his knee in the first, I don't know, 10 seconds of the fight. And just kept going. And it, it, like won. nothing. Like, and, oh, they just threw bombs after bombs, and, and it was awesome. And it wasn't like sloppy bombs. You know, like sometimes you have, you watch fights. Like, obviously, we, we recently watched uh, Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner, which were throwing bombs, and they <laughs> yeah. were just wild. <laughs> this was very, very skilled. This was, yeah, there, there was a reason these two were top 10 fighters coming into this. Uh... Excellent featherweights. I, I love both these guys. I, I love this fight. Fantastic fight. If, if you need to watch one three round fight from the UFC this year, watch this one. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm with you with that. Uh, my what was no- your four, though? My number four was Dan Hooker versus Paul Felder. Okay. This was back in February, pre-pandemic. Just a, a bloody battle. That would yeah. know that I mean that Dan Hooker's finding himself uh, in a lot. Paul Felder yes, also. Is, I, I mean, Paul Felder, too. He's always in a war. Just oh, a super yeah. fun I mean, fight. These are appointment viewing dudes, you know? So, I mean, back and forth. Uh, was it a split decision or unanimous? I forget. But uh, there was definitely a lot of debate over who should have won or, or who people thought won. Absolutely. And I... You know, we revisited this fight in episode 67 for past judgment. And we talked about how close it was and how it really could have gone the other way. So I I certainly can understand how it would have gotten there. But it was a split decision. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, anytime you get a split decision, especially, you know, with, with Hooker fighting in front of the, the hometown crowd in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, I'm not saying he got hometown cooking, but he had all the fans behind him there. That definitely can't hurt you. Oh yeah, when when you land any single strike and the crowd erupts, it's got to help. Absolutely. <laughs> but number three. Yeah. What was your? Well, before we do your number three, I will say that that was actually my number three. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we don't we don't need to dive deep into my yeah. number three because right. we just talked about it. My number three was Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje, UFC two forty nine. Okay. I thought this, this was... was a fight that I actually didn't include in my top five. Wow. Okay. See, I was... but that doesn't mean it wasn't great. It just means it didn't quite make my cut. I could see that because this was more of a uh, kind of a showcase for Gaethje. Yes, than and showcase else. fights can still be you know incredible fights, and th- there was certainly drama here, and, and it was amazing to watch. But yeah, I think <laughs> it started to get very one sided after that one uppercut that stunned Gaethje briefly towards the end of the second round, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was all Gaethje after that. But again, the, the fact that that happened, there was drama. So I yeah. I totally get it. And, and it was it was a violent fight. It was great. And, and it was and like, it was totally it, it was against two fighters that everybody loves to watch. They're totally legit top 155 pounders. I get it, too. And we heard every single blow land. Oh, yes, we did. That's one of the advantages of the pandemic era is they they've done a very good job with the audio in mm-hmm. making it easier for us to hear the lands uh, like it's it's got to be better. As far as the amount of information you get trying to judge a fight from home, you know, again, we're not the actual judges mm-hmm. and we're not sitting there. So we'd have different viewpoints than the, than the judges get. They're able to look in the eyes. They're able to do all these things. But to get that audio feedback definitely helps, too. Yeah, that was that was really cool to actually leather against face. Bam. Yeah, that was that was definitely terrific and, and a high stakes fight because it was it was to make the Khabib fight, which. I wish they wouldn't put these stupid interim belts on the line. And that almost is like a knock on that fight for me <laughs> is that they made it an interim title fight. Well, Gaethje didn't even want the belt. He threw the belt. So he kind of helped you out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Shout out to Gaethje. I love that. <laughs> That's my dude right there for doing that. Uh, and these final two, I, I have a, a big feeling where uh, I know exactly what they are. I just think we have them in different spots. 
I think uh, really different spots. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so let's let's see what you ended up with. Okay, but yeah, it's probably the, the same two fights. What do you got? What's number two for you? Number two is Zhang Wiley and Joanna. Oh yeah, we did. We swapped it. We swapped yep. it. I mean, this was. I watched this fight again tonight as well. That this was a fantastic fight, start to finish. It really started picking up in round three. And Joanna had a huge hematoma on her forehead. Zhang was busted open. They were just throwing leather. Great fight. Great pace. And the crowd that was there. I mean, that really helped too. The, the crowd was going wild. This was definitely the best fight of the year for me. And definitely the best fight of the pre-pandemic era. Oh, period. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think you agree because I know I know yeah. what you're going to say is number one. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about my number one. This is my number one, of course. Uh, I just don't think anything beats this. This is the best women's fight ever, period, bar none. Honestly, it's probably not very close. And and there's certainly good women's fights, but this is just such a – like it's basically a legendary fight in my mind. Top five maybe ever, gender regardless in my book. This, this... Uh, I don't know where it would sit. But it's it's in there. It's it's a fight that I really do think back to a lot. I haven't I don't gotten the chance to watch it again in in several months. But it's just, it's so violent. Joanna wore so much damage in that fight that she, I mean, I think we said at the time she looked like an alien. Yeah, definitely. She just didn't even look like the same woman anymore. But not only that, she looked like she looked like she'd been through heck. And yet, there's still a very reasonable argument that she won the fight. Yeah, I mean, she did win the fight on. Uh... I believe it was Eric Colon's card. I believe it was Eric Colon's card, and I, I don't have a big problem with that card either. I watched it live, and I thought it was for uh, Zhang Weili. I thought she won that. Uh, obviously, she did get the split decision nod too. But uh, yeah, I mean that. Fortunately, she did heal well. Uh, to Joanna, uh, she definitely look doesn't look like an alien anymore. She looks like normal Joanna as yep. as we remember her. Good for <laughs> her. Uh, but this is this is just a classic. If you're trying to get people into the sport i think this is a fight you can show them especially to prove to anyone who doubts that women can be entertaining fighters show them this and, and just let them know hey there's more of this but this is the best yeah this definitely deserves that instant classic uh moniker i guess is that a word i don't know moniker yeah well, i mean uh designations maybe what you mean yeah label i'm not the editor you're not you're not the wordsmith that's me <laughs> That's all right. No problem. I'm, I'd probably come up with a lot of yeah. words that people would maybe call pretentious or whatever. Well, yeah, usually after every podcast, I mean, there's a word that I, I typically remember. Uh, I should go look what that up <laughs> Educating. It's what we do. We, do, we educate <laughs> about judging. Hopefully we educate, you know, get your dictionary still working. <laughs> but no one has a dictionary anymore. Let's move on to my number one uh, and your obvious number two. Before uh, Before we do, I do want to just add that I think one of the other reasons why I picked this one over what you're about to say is the simple fact that this was for a title and it was for yeah. a title that has become very, I don't know if it's prestigious or not, but maybe, I mean, it, it should be prestigious because I think women's strawweight is probably the deepest division that we have, the most competitive division that we have on the women's side. Yeah. Uh, it's so when you there. factor that I mean, in, it's like, it really is just a showcase uh, in, in every respect. So I think that tips it over for me too. But anyway, I'm, that's all I need to say about that one. Talk about your number one. Good which point. I know what it is. Number one, Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier. My yep. fight of the year. I also watched that tonight. And for me, it just had everything. It wasn't just a, a slugfest back and forth, which it was for a, a lot of it. But there was yep. a lot of good grappling in there, which if anyone listens, know I'm a fan of that. Yep. And Dustin Poirier attacked an omoplata in this fight. <laughs> is that what put it over I for you? I will just point that out. 
you can take from that what you will. <laughs> but these guys just bashed each other's head in for five rounds, and it, I thought it was very fun. What I like about this fight is, I guess you sort of touched upon it, but very specifically the fact that Hooker was winning the fight. He was winning for ten, like about through 10 minutes. This was his fight, right? Mm-hmm. And then the championship medal of Poye takes over. Poye showed a lot of heart. And he he just... absolutely did. You know, it's it's tough to come back from losing two rounds down, especially the way he was losing it. And what a al- hellacious yeah. fight. And what also points out is Conor McGregor knocked him out at 45. And you touched on this when we talked about this. I don't know how many shows ago. Poye now at 55, it helps him with his chin. Absolutely should. So this fight coming up that we'll talk about in a couple weeks should be a different story I hopefully think. if everybody stays on track but yeah uh but anyways stay on track with this fight it, i can't believe <laughs> these two were standing I, it really that was wild what a war i mean this yeah this is it's hard to deny this as the top fight of the year but honestly i really did just feel that the other one the that john wiley yoana yon jacek was a better fight and and with better stakes and everything it's it just for me it had everything it did total have the package stakes, but this yeah. one's this is ter- terrific too it's fantastic it's my number two and it's a tough call but i i it's it really did feel epic watching it too and there were some stakes here too because especially for poye if he lost that fight we didn't know that he was going to get the Connor fight, but I mean, would we be saying that this guy is still in the title picture? Or would people start writing him off? Probably they would be doing it prematurely, I bet. But I, I think people would probably have started writing him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, most likely. So obviously there was high stakes. I mean, there's always high stakes, but the, I think this one, Dustin Poirier really needed this one. And and the fact that he came back to get it, uh, that just speaks to the type of person, the type of fighter he is. So uh, there's there's a lot of drama. There's like a story. And he used to this his, fight. He used his entire skill set. He didn't just rely on on his striking. So absolutely, I, and that is the one thing I would say about uh, Zhang and and Yon Jacek is that really is you know not entirely a kickboxing war, but that's mostly what it was. And if you want to talk about the mixed part of mixed martial arts, yeah, the fight that you pick number one is definitely a lot more mixed. I so think, I get it. Yeah, I think if you go and watch any of these five fights or six fights, actually. Right? Was it six fights or five fights? You had a Josh we, we mentioned six fights between yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, I think you'll have a good night. Yeah, you win if you watch these. Also, and uh, uh, I had one other honorable mention: Vicente Luque versus Nico Price at UFC 249. That was pretty ridiculous too. Oh, absolutely! Right on. That was a fun so, one. That that one ended early though. That was that that's did, like yeah, the only one though here that actually didn't go the distance. Yep. Oh no, that's not true because you had you oh, had okay. uh, Fer- Ferguson and, and Gaethje. Ferguson. That, yeah. It went to round five, so it didn't quite get. But. uh that sums up our uh, top fights. One more category. Thanks for anybody who's sticking with us. I hope you're enjoying it, but let's give out our fighter of the year, starting with the woman of the year, the woman's fighter of the year. Who's yours? I think this is easy. I thought Mackenzie Dern, 3-0, and two finishes, tested her medal in her last bout. Interesting. Solid. Uh, to me, I, I think you can maybe make a case. Well, you know, I'll let you pick first before I start diving in. Sure, sure. Um, for me, Zhang Weili. Oh, okay. I know she only fought the one time, uh, but I really thought that just because this was such a legendary fight over a legend in Joanna, that I think it made her a very viable candidate because she's a, she is the she was the apex predator of the apex women's division. Like I said, she's awesome. You know, she came out on top, and I didn't think that any other championship level fighters had stronger years you know obviously amanda nunez has the two belts in the ufc still uh but you know she had the one fight over uh felicia spencer that was just a total beat down and and i think everyone 
saw that coming. So I, I really kind of wrote that one off. No offense to Amanda. She's amazing. But it's just it was tough to give that out for that. Uh, my runner up for this one, I would say, was Valentina Shevchenko because she was 2-0 in title fights. But I think few expected her to do anything but dominate. And, you know, yes. uh, that that is not her fault. But I think because of that, when you talk about the um, strength of schedule, I, yeah. I, think, I think it's Zhang. I didn't take into strength of schedule into that much of account. Was, sure, and I, I understand I, that. I There's a million it, ways you could give out fighter these. I wanted to to go with um volume and finish okay. volume and finishes and and and, and winning, of course, mm-hmm. was really where I was at. My runner up was Lauren Murphy. Honestly, I gave her consideration too. Absolutely, she had a great year. So three and zero and with one finish, I, I thought you know that was solid. I thought Valentina has a great case. Two wins and two and two title fights is big. One of them being a finish. You know, Murphy. You bring up Murphy. I think what really makes her stand out for me is just, and this is very specific to her as a person, is just she had a lot of inconsistency early in her career. She also lost in her UFC career anyway. She lost some split decisions, some really close ones. She also, you know, has come out on the right end of some close ones lately, but she's finally finding that groove uh, for her career. She's trying to position herself for big fights. You know, I think she's probably very close and maybe one more win and she might get to that point where she could actually face uh, Valentina. Uh, and then get stomped as most people do, but nonetheless, <laughs> I mean that's if she hears this, I'm sure she'll disagree, and she should. But you know, credit to her, she she put together a good year too. I yeah. think that's a good call. Awesome. So let's move on to the guys. The men, the man, the male fighter of the year. This is our last award. Who is your, you know, who's your runner up? Actually, who's your runner up? Let's just end it on the actual fighter. Five and zero, oh, Kevin Holland, four finishes. I thought you'd pick. That's him. my runner up. Okay, that's fair. My runner-up is Israel Adesanya. Okay. And, you know, 2-0 in title fights. You know, he had that dominant win over, obviously, a rival in, in Borussia, Paula Costa. Um, he's obviously going to challenge for the light heavyweight title like we spoke about. Yeah, that's a big year. <laughs> I'm with you, except that Romero fight. Oh, it was a stinker. That was, that was that pure was... stinker. But nonetheless, he came he, out on the, on did the what uh, he had to side do. against Yoel I mean, Romero. And most people, a lot of people don't. I know. I mean, he did what he had to do to win. And he did. And so that's and it's stuff like that that keeps him absolutely not as the fighter of the year for me. I think I scored it for Romero, though, to be honest. Yeah, I can understand why you could. I I forget if I did or not. We should actually revisit that one and not do a yeah. show about it because no one wants to hear it or watch it. <laughs> but true. we should we should look back at that and just try to make a better decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so who's uh, who is our male fighter of the year? Because I think we're in agreement. No shock here. Davison Figueredo. Absolutely, Dustagera. I mean, essentially four and zero in four title fights. Yeah, he's three zero oh and one technically, but yeah, I agree. He he really should be four and zero. Yeah, so I mean, three of finish and two of them being and Joseph well, Benavidez. They, they were technically not all title fights either because he missed right, weight for yeah. the first one. He they missed were all weight. five round fights. Big implications. And if you if you fight and finish Joseph Benavidez in the fashion he did two times. Especially the second time. I mean, that that should be the second time enough. was most definitely a ten seven. If it went a few seconds more, yeah, that was that was a total beatdown of one yeah. of the one of the best small fighters of all time. Especially and me, you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, fan of what he brings to the table as a fighter. Uh, so that was disappointing because I thought it was going to be finally his chance to get a little bit of a day under the sun, be recognized as a champion that he never really got to be at the at the major level. Uh, but nonetheless, it's it's an amazing win for Figueredo, and and yeah, he's he's fantastic. And and not only that, he did it two consecutive title defenses at two consecutive pay per views. 
Scott, him and Valentina and Israel Adesanya are the only fighters to defend their belt more than once. This year. This year. Yeah. Well, it was a weird year. You know I love that. I know. This is a very that, strange year. But, that, but, but the fact that he defended it, well, he technically defended it twice. Right. But, but really, I think most times. people still considered him the best. Like, if you're talking about lineal champion in the sense, uh, then he was probably the defending his lineal belt three times. Like, I, I don't know who the actual mm-hmm. lineal champion was considered, but essentially he was the uncrowned champ. Yeah. And right. Yeah, amazing so. year for him. No one knew who he was at the beginning of the year. Everybody knows who he is now and who can't wait to watch him uh, beat down Brandon Moreno. No, not the, not the people dislike Moreno. He's a very likable guy, but I mean, yeah. look, if you think that Moreno is going to put up the same type of fight and you're going to interpret it the same way the next time you're wrong. I know I'm with you. We all know making weight is difficult for Figueroa doing that. Seems having, to have gotten it together a lot right, better though. But having to do it twice in such a short period of time could have hurt his performance. We found out he was in the hospital the night of the the night before the fight. <laughs> so crazy. I think he's gonna. I mean, he'll be more well prepared with the time off and sharpen his skills even more. I, I see it being uh, similar to a Benavidez match. Yeah, he he obviously has shown that he's pretty good in rematches, huh? Yeah. And that was the end of the Judgies, a name that we didn't have when we started the show. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to this show and, and for listening to us all year. We actually are planning to welcome a guest to our Friday show. Uh, we hope you'll tune in for that one and for the, everything coming forward when the fights resume again in January. Can't wait to see you all in 2021. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody.